welcome to episode 47 of Scar Bears. I'm Chris D.T. Gordon. As always, I thank you profusely for joining me today. And Nate and Britton Barron work in their technological magic. You know, in Asgard, they call it science, but here it is wonderful, no matter what you call it. If you want them to work their post-production magic on your creative projects, just reach out to them at Nate Barron. Well, folks, you've heard me talk about it, and now it is real. The third volume of Blue Talks Presents Business, Life, and the Universe is out on Amazon, and you see me right there, Chris D.T. Gordon, showing off my my tutu and my one-punch man cosplay and all its glory, sharing my story with, story with so many others. If you want to get your hands on the third volume of Business Life in the Universe, just go to Amazon and look for that title or type in Corey Poirier Volume 3. That's a quick way to find it. Well, I am sharing the time today with a sister from another doctor. Her name is Brianna Westmeyer. Brianna, how are you today? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I thank you so much for sharing your story. As I said, we are connected by that. I don't know if you want to call him a demon or a savior or just something that happened known as fasciitis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before you had that faithful, that faithful occasion visit you, what was life like for Brianna? Um, well, I'm a stay, stay-at-home mom of two, so it's always a little crazy. Um, our youngest is actually in a wheelchair, double amputee. He's got a pretty rare condition, so when it comes to rare things, we're usually pretty good with it. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of work, a lot of lifting, you know, just craziness for I, I call it typical stay-at-home mom with a few adjustments, but mm-hmm. you know it's a little little spice of life, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if you don't mind me asking, what condition does he have, or did he have? He has um, something called caudal regression syndrome. It's similar to spina bifida, but instead of having a hole in the spine, his spine actually just ends at L two. So there's nothing below that. And when he was five months old, we made the very hard decision to go ahead and amputate his legs because it would be easier for him to get around, um, less chance of blood clots, infections, things like that. Yeah. And so L2, uh, I'm trying to think of my rudimentary knowledge of the human body. It is just a little above the pelvic bone Mm -hmm. or am I way up? Okay. All right. Okay. And so, so uh, how old is he now and what is he able to do? Um, he is seven years old and he does more than typical kids. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he has been doing handstands and flips since he was nine months old and climbs up into the top of the pantry. So, you know, we have to watch him because he has no fear. And I think that's, you know, a, a great thing for him is that, he, he doesn't say can't, and we don't allow him to say can't. That's, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great mindset that he can grow up with because 
that opens so many doors for him that kids, you know, who are able, you know, who are regular bodied, mm -hmm. they may not have developed that, that strength of character. Oh yeah. And so that's fantastic. And so now that you, you know, you've already had some interesting home life experience, mm -hmm. then, then comes your own situation, huh? Oh yeah. Um, I went in to have my birth control change. I had an IUD and I go in and the doctor asked if I was having any problems. I said, Oh, I think I have an ovarian cyst. And he did an ultrasound and he's like, it's a mass. It's a, a, I think it's a tumor. I think you have cancer and we need to get it out immediately. So that was, you know, the first step. And I was like, okay, you know, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get this over with. So I, I called my mom for her to, cause at that point in time, we lived in Alabama and mm -hmm. all my family was scattered. So I called her for her to come help with the kids. Cause I need a lot of help with Gabe if I'm going to be down. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the next day I'm waiting on her to get there and I get a phone call that my stepdad had died. Just oh wow, I'm so boom, sorry. boom, boom. Like everything happened, you know, just within a week. And yeah. I, I went in a few days later for the surgery and they had told my husband that it was going to be, um, you know, two hours tops. Well, six hours later, I was still in surgery. Mm. They, the mass was so big that they couldn't get it out laparoscopically. So they had to actually open me up as well. So I had, instead of, you know, two or three small incisions, I had those plus a very large incision and things just cascaded and went downhill from there. I knew, um, by, by day three, that something was wrong. I was running a fever. The pain was getting worse and not better. And I went in, my doctor wasn't there. So I saw a partner and I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm swollen. I can't fit into these sweatpants that swallowed me two weeks ago. And he goes, oh, abdominal swelling is normal after surgery. And, you know, with you losing your ovaries that the hormonal temperature changes are normal. I said, well, I lost one. This isn't normal. I have an infection. And he just kind of played me off. And the next week I went back in because I had started hallucinating my dead grandmother mm. and I knew something wasn't right. That's not normal for you? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I okay. talked to all her right. sometimes. Well, I, I see Nana all the time. So I guess maybe <laughs> we were connecting another way, but oh, okay. So hallucinations, not normal. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I, I was so sick at my stomach. I couldn't even take the pain medication, but my husband came home angry and he's like, you're overtaking your medicine. You're overtaking your medicine. You're going to overdose. And I was like, look, I've taken one all day and I can't keep it down. And so he took me in. It was, I think 13 days from the, the my memory is horrible because a lot of this I'm not sure of. Yeah. But it was either 10 or 13 days after the initial surgery. And I walked in and my surgeon, he looked at me, he goes, oh, let's, let's do some blood work. I'll call you tomorrow. Well, the next day I went and sat in a hot shower, like as hot as I could get it because I was freezing, you know, that the shiver you get with a fever. Yeah. And 
my mom, who is like 90 pounds soaking wet, had to come in there and lift me out of the bathtub because I couldn't move. Mm. And I started throwing up again and you heard this, like it sounded like someone had popped a balloon. That's what it sounded like. But it was inside my abdomen. And my husband walked in from work about that time and um, he said, okay, we're calling an ambulance because he could hear some weird noise. Well, come to find out it was the infection from an abscess that had ruptured, squirting out into my abdominal cavity. So I got to the emergency room and I have type one diabetes. So Mm -hmm. they're all looking at blood sugars and they're like, oh, you're sick because your blood sugar. No, my blood sugar is crazy because I have an infection. I know, you know, number one, give me something for the pain. Number two, I need a CT scan or something. Mm -hmm. And so they took me in, they saw the abscess and put me in the women and children's hospital. And for the next three days, I got IV antibiotics, continued to hallucinate my dead grandmother. And I knew, like, I don't know how I knew, but I just knew that I was going to die. And I kept telling my husband, I said, it is necrotizing fasciitis because I would have horrible pain all over, but one spot would go dead. And I knew that it was, the tissue was gone. The nerves were gone. Now, how do you know about uh, NF, before, you know, during this time? Um, nursing school. I okay. haven't completed it, but I've taken a lot of my clinicals. Okay. And I like weird things. It's I mean, a, it's, <laughs> no, no, it's all right. I mean, who am I to judge as you look on my wall? You know, and, <laughs> and, but uh, I just remember when my wife was told what it was, she had no idea. And she had to look yeah. it up. I, I was already in, I was already out uh, in surgery, so she had to look it up. But it's it's good that you had that knowledge. So I'm sorry. Go ahead and continue. Well, um, so I knew. I think it was by day two in the hospital. That's what I was. Everybody that would listen, it's necrotizing fasciitis. I need help. I'm going to die. And the doctors, of course, wrote me off. And said, oh, you're, you know, you're just not feeling well. You don't know what's going on. This is what we do. And on the third day, my sister came up to the hospital and I signed my living will in DNR Mm. because I knew my husband, like anybody, I mean, would want to try to do everything, but I couldn't take anymore. Like I had never felt that sick in my entire life and I didn't want to live anymore. And so she came in, um, we signed all that paperwork. I still don't know if it was filed because I have flashes and they called to say that they were going to take me, um, to put in a pick line and that I needed to get a shower And so my husband came up there, helped me get in the shower and the age, I mean, she wasn't even a nurse. She was just an aide. She was in there with me and she said, "Um, I'm going to get someone. She's right. Something's not normal. And the next thing I knew infectious disease was in there and they were screaming as they're running me from women and children's hospital half a mile away 
to the main hospital um, mm-hmm. through like the tram and the little things that go across. I can't even think of the name of them. Go across the roads. Um, yeah, you should know. Yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, and next thing I knew, I woke up in the trauma intensive care unit. And my husband was sitting there and he goes, you were right. It's necrotizing fasciitis. And they said you had hours. Wow. Yeah. Infectious diseases not mess around. No. And they, they get right to it. And so I'm, I'm thankful that they were able to get to you in time mm-hmm. and get you the help that you actually needed. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy how I, from everything I know about necrotizing fasciitis, I'm surprised that I had 14 days. I am because too, from, because I would have been dead, certainly, yeah. uh, given my case. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I was amazed when you said, you said day 11, like, okay, I would have been in the ground then. Uh, so yeah. that's, I, yeah, I mean, I don't ever wish anyone to have that for that long, but I'm glad you survived that long. Yeah. Um, I wish you hadn't had to deal with that that long. That long. Um, so they get you into the trauma unit. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming they get you right into surgery. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, I went straight from women and children's into the surgery. And I woke up, I think it was the next day, in the surgical trauma intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. And I woke up to um, bandage changes. Okay. And at, at that point, the, the necrotizing fasciitis had gone from just my abdomen and move south okay so that made things a lot more fun <laughs> yeah can only imagine yeah it's funny people ask because they just don't know and they don't they're well-meaning so do you still have it no we wouldn't be talking so no. <laughs> you know so the, I'm, I'm guessing you know as it moved south it was quickly taken out um mm-hmm. how many surgeries did it take to to finally remove it all Four. Okay. But my surgeon, um, he happened to be best friends of the doctor that we were later told nicked my intestines during the initial surgery. Mm. And that's what caused it. He happened to be his best friend, but he um, did not believe in a conservative approach to necrotizing fasciitis. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would be in there scraping tissue for hours and hours and hours and take healthy tissue just to make sure. And I mean, he was very, very aggressive. And they said, typically, um, and this is just what I was told at that hospital, it can be, you know, 10 to even 20 surgeries sometimes to try to get all the necrotic tissue out. Yeah. Yeah. When they were cleaning me out for lack of a better term, what they did was they treated it as a forest fire. And mm-hmm. so like a controlled burn, they went ahead of the yeah. infected skin and cut there. And so I, I totally agree with what that surgeon did because mm-hmm. any little bit that survives, that can re- restart the whole process. Oh yeah. And I mean, he, he was not the most pleasant person. I mean, he was a jerk and him and my husband, they fought so much over the course of the month, but he also, you know, surgeons, they're busy. They don't have time for anything except what's on their mind. Mm -hmm. And that first, um, 
wound packing, which is hell on earth. Like, uh, um, he stood there for two hours and held my hand while I screamed and the nurses packed that wound. I will never forget that. And it was at the end of the day, he had better things to do. He could have gone home and he didn't just save my life. He sat there and held my hand through one of the most traumatic things I've ever been through. They definitely deserve all the money they get because man, oh, yes. uh, you know, neither of us would be here if we didn't have great surgeons. Oh, definitely. He was amazing. So after all the surgeries, you know, how long were you in the hospital recovering? Uh, 30 days. Okay. Um, all right. And I got a wound vac. Um, I think it was post-op day five. And that, um, I ended up having to be sedated with ketamine because the wound vac changes would take anywhere from two to four hours. Mm-hmm. And I would scream the entire time. You, you noticed my, my face when you said ketamine. Mm-hmm. That is, as they say in the water boy, the devil mama. I, I turned into a ball of light and went to hell. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was this, that I think that was scarier than the necrotizing fasciitis. I was terrified. Oh yeah. The, the room, I, I blinked one time and the room flipped upside down. Yeah. yeah like I've seen colors that I, I didn't think were possible. Yeah. That stuff is no joke. I mean, it does the job, but man, the side mm-hmm. effects are I could write a whole book on the hallucinations I had. Yeah. So I, oh, yeah. I, I'm with you, sister. Holy I God. said, I would never be tempted to do acid ever after that. And they ended, up, they, um, they ended up having to use Rosed and the ketamine and fentanyl and all this other stuff because I freaked out so bad. They thought I was going to stroke out. Mm. They said that I would, I, I mean, I, I was raised in church. Um, but they said that I would pray begging God for forgiveness that I didn't want to go to hell. And then I would start cussing them. <laughs> <laughs> Just cover all the bases. Yeah, definitely. I was like, well, I don't remember that, but I remember yeah. going to hell. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. It's, it's quite intense. Some of those hallucinations. Yeah. Did you have to have any skin graft grafts harvested from your body or did you get skin grafts? No. And I didn't even know that that was an option um, until really? I joined the support group. Um, okay. I, I didn't even know that that was part of the treatment. And I don't even um, think that they would have done it in the area, you mm-hmm. know, where, where I had it. Cause it was basically from my C-section scar down yeah and i mean they they said that they were lucky to be able to get the wound back in wow. in the area that i needed it okay so yeah where, where i where i am infected where i was infected it goes from my back of my right hand all the way up to my shoulder into my chest and my back wow. and you know you can see here and then my listeners know how bad i look i look like a discount deadpool um all this the skin grafts here and so wow. yeah, yeah and so that's that's one of the things they did they they took a, a glorified cheese grater and ran it mm-hmm. up and down my thighs and my back i still have racing stripes that will oh, uh, wow. yeah i mean it made me even whiter than i was before so, <laughs> yeah it was amazing so what they i mean so were they able to close up everything 
Um, I had the wound vac for about two and a half, three months. Okay. And I, I literally kept the wound vac until it got to the point that it was almost closed. And then we did packing from then on for, for another month, we packed it and then it was completely closed. And they said they couldn't believe how fast I was able to come off the wound vac. Cause it was, I mean, it was very deep into my abdomen. Wow. Um, so I was able to come off the wound back a good three months before they thought I would. Okay. And then That's it good. completely closed on its own, which they didn't expect. The surgeon thought he was going to have to go back again and cut a little more out and then stitch it up. But, um, thankfully we didn't have to do that. Um, I, I know two months after I finally healed, I felt burning in my stomach again. And logically, I know that necrotizing fasciitis does not go dormant for months, yeah. you know, but I felt that burning, searing pain and went to the hospital and found out I had a hernia oh. and it was just from the loss of muscle and tissue from mm. the other. Yeah. And I, I've never felt such panic wasn't because I had a hernia it was because I had to have another surgery yeah and I mean now I'm at the point that you know I know I probably won't get it again I'm gonna do everything I can like I have hippoclins that I use for just, <laughs> like, I still have some too yeah OCD about it and COVID hit exactly one year like we went on lockdown exactly one year in my state from when I was diagnosed. So yeah. of course. Yeah. And I forgot to ask when this happened. So this happened 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. March, yeah, okay. um, March of 2019. Oh, mine was March of 2015, man. We are, we, we are so in line. Yeah. With so many things. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, do you still have like do you get panicky at all with certain things? I mean, I don't as much as I did that first year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, really, I don't. I am a little more diligent about cleaning wounds. Like when mm -hmm. my kids get a cut, you know, my wife says, says, go to dad. He'll take care of it. <laughs> and I have my own routine. But I'm not one who thankfully feels panicky or becomes I don't want to say neurotic but right you know overly you know overly nervous when I get a cut or I'm in the situation uh, so I just do what I can and because I figure I mean it happened in the unlikeliest time that you know the first time you know I'm just as likely to get again as I was the first so right. I, I just don't choose to live my life in fear because I did, you know, what will happen will happen. I would do my best to deal with what happens. Right. Oh yeah. And I mean, I'm not as scared as I was and it's not even the fear of getting an infection. I think the whole fear thing for me comes from, I knew what was going on. I was the only person that knew and nobody would listen. And I don't want to go through that long drawn out process. And the surgeon told me, he's like, look, if you get it again, you'll probably be dead in three days. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> yeah, just don't worry. You, <laughs> yeah. have, you have that paperwork, right? Yeah. So yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's like a horror story, what you went through that people, you know, you were screaming at the top of your lungs almost and no one heard you. Yeah. So what, you know, how do you live your life now with that experience? Um, I think I'm number one, I'm grateful for every moment I get with my kids because when I was in ICU, I wasn't allowed to see them for three weeks, never gone long periods of time without my kids and especially my son. And I'm, I'm grateful for each moment. I realized just how much my husband loves me. I mean, I've always known we've been together since I was 16. Um, but the way that he fought for me and he would go to work and work all day, drive 45 minutes to the hospital, stay with me until they kicked him out, go home, get the kids, get them off to school and do it all over again for 30 days. Mm. And I mean, he missed one day the entire time and it was because he was so sick. He couldn't get out of bed. Mm. Um, I try not to have any regrets anymore Mm -hmm. and tell everyone that I love them and I trust myself so much more than I did before. I think we know our bodies. I mean, yes, doctors are educated and they know more about the human body than anybody else could, but you know yourself better than anybody else. And you have to trust your gut when it comes to things. And, you know, if you don't advocate for yourself, nobody else is going to. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned is that I relied on everybody else when I should have been, you know, relying on myself. That's huge. That is, it's so unfortunate that you had to go through that situation to learn that, but I'm so happy that you have that knowledge now. Mm-hmm. And then you'll, you know, and hopefully you're, you know, willing to share that with others. Uh, do, uh, have you spoken to groups about your situation, about your experience? I haven't. This is the first time I've talked to someone who wasn't family and wasn't in some aspect involved. Um, And I think part of that is, you know, fear of, you know, what people are going to say or people. One of the first questions I get asked, and that's by new doctors or people that hear about it is, "Ooh, can I see pictures? Mm -hmm. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, you can't. when I, yeah, when I present to uh, high school uh, classes, health classes, they yeah. would rather I just left the pictures with them and I oh, went out the door. I mean, my presentation could be, you know, I could have fireworks and all they want to do is see the pictures. Oh, so yeah. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Well, I think with, with the area that, that mine was in, I could really, really get everybody on the abstinence bandwagon. You know, <laughs> be like, "This is what happens." <laughs> yeah. Oh Not my really, goodness! I mean. that, yeah, I, I can, I can see that really working well. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> NF would be part of everyone's vocabulary. Yeah. So I think we need to, the, and and one thing that I learned, um, when I was actually in the hospital, because it carried over into April, um, 2019, there were so many NF infections that were on like the national media and maybe it's just, Mm -hmm. I was paying attention that year, Yeah, but 
I mean, there were, there was a, an elderly gentleman in Memphis that died after going to the beach. And I think, you know, we do need to talk about it more because, I mean, I have pre-existing conditions that make me more susceptible to complications from infections, Mm -hmm. but that year I lived and healthy people with healthy immune systems died from the same thing that I had. And, you know, I think there needs to be more education for doctors, more education for people in general. Yes, I agree. And, you know, hopefully the story of Alex Smith, the quarterback from the Washington football team will help, uh, you know, get increase the knowledge of NF. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's part of what I do here is I try to get survivors on and have them talk about their stories so people know more about it. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of knowing more, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk with you about your story? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, That's really the only social media I use um, just because I'm so busy. We have a Facebook page for our son, you know, people that want to know about him. It's called Growing Up Gabriel. Um, and then my, my full name on Facebook is Brianna Royer, R-O-Y-E-R Westmeyer. I have okay. the hardest names in the world for people to pronounce. <laughs> you know, you have to have, uh, you have to have, you know, some kind of uh, guard at the gate. So if they can't say your name, they don't deserve to talk with you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Brianna, it's been an honor and a privilege to talk with you today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, my pleasure. And so if you want to reach out and see what I'm up to, folks, you can find me at linktr.ee forward slash Chris DT Gordon. That's where I have my speaking websites. I have the link for Blue Talks Presents Business Life in the Universe Volume 3 my Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn pages, and a couple other things as well. So I hope you check that out. Please have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness. Greatness.